I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri, and four of the five power conference commissioners, along with many athletic directors and C-suite executives across the industry. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. My guest today played behind three Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Mark Rick attended the University of Miami and played behind Hall of Famer Jim Kelly. When he went to the NFL, he found himself behind Dan Marino with the Dolphins and then John Elway with Denver. He went on to become a quarterback coach at Florida State and eventually offensive coordinator for Bobby Bowden as they won national championships. He had an amazing athlete, Charlie Ward, who not only played and was a tremendous quarterback, but also played point guard for the New York Knicks. He was hired by the University of Georgia and won an amazing number of games and conference championships. He left to go back to his alma mater, the University of Miami, the U, and turned it around. The program was lacking facilities, was lacking donations. He made a million-dollar donation to the university and helped reestablish the U brand. And Mark is driven by a strong spiritual belief. My guest, Mark Richt. Welcome, friends. I have Mark Richt uh, with us today, and uh, thank you for joining. And uh, I've always admired, you know, the way you've you've led, uh, the way you've treated your players, uh, the way you've used religion as part of your core of who you are. Going back to your uh, roots, how did you ever get into football, and how did you become a quarterback? You know, growing up as a kid, sports was it for me. I mean, everybody wants to feel good about themselves, I guess. It, things that they're good at. And uh, I just happened to be pretty good at sports. I, I loved it. Couldn't wait for my dad to come home and ask him to play catch. You know, he, his sport was baseball. And if I could just get him to throw a glove on and play catch with me, that was made my day, you know. So as far as quarterback, I think, I don't know if I was a good enough athlete to play any other position, to be quite frankly with you. <laughs> you know, if you happen to have a little bit of arm talent, you might be the guy that Hey, this kid throws it halfway decent. Let's let's make him the quarterback. So from a young age, I was doing that. Uh, I can remember my sec, my first year, I think in Little League football. No, my first year, I was a uh, quarterback. My second year, you know, they get the weight limits. If you weigh too much, you can't be in the backfield. So I think I had to be an offensive lineman my second year of Little League football. But uh, other than that, I've been a quarterback. How'd you end up selecting the U? I had a few choices. Uh, not an unbelievable amount of choices, but my junior year, I'd gotten hurt. Didn't play much at all. And then my senior year, we actually, at Boca Raton High School, uh, went to the semifinals of the state championship. I think it's still the farthest Boca High's ever gone, but we had a really good year, and I played well enough to get some attention. So my recruitment really started kind of late. And it's, you know, back in that day, you know, recruiting didn't start in the eighth or ninth grade like it does nowadays, but 
you know, I had an offer from Florida State, Kentucky. You know, back then they had what's called a excuse me, a state letter of intent. So between Florida, Florida State, and Miami, they'd sign a letter of intent. If you like, I signed mine with Miami, so that meant I could not go to Florida or Florida State. This was prior to this national signing date. Well, after signing uh, my state letter of intent to Miami, Notre Dame came in the picture. And, uh, of course, my mom, you know, we grew up in a Catholic family. And my mom, you know, wanted me to go to Notre Dame. And she was all mad. I wouldn't take my visit, but I wanted to be loyal to Miami. Long story short, uh, I thought I had a better chance playing at Miami than I did at Florida State. But uh, little did I know Jim Kelly was going to be in my same class mm. at Miami. Who was your coach at that time? Well, Coach Saban and not Nick Saban. It was Lou Saban. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, Lou Saban came to Miami. He actually stayed two years. He was there one year prior to me. And then my true freshman year, he was the coach. But he he recruited me. And he, by the way, he told me when I asked him about Jim Kelly on the uh, from a newspaper article in the Miami Herald, he said, uh, somebody's got to back you up, Mark. And I was like, good thinking, coach. But uh, anyway, long story short, he was the coach for one season. And then he uh, he left after that year. And then my second season, and for the rest of the time that I was at Miami, Howard Schnellenberger became the head coach. And uh, I don't know if everybody knows his history, but you know, he had coached with the Dolphins as the offensive coordinator uh, when the Dolphins in 1973 went undefeated. And uh, so he, he brought the Miami Dolphins system to college football. And really, in hindsight, that was one of the things that helped me become a coach down the road was the knowledge that I had of that, of that very system. He was a Don Shula disciple. So, I mean, in terms right. of technique, he and Chuck Knoll, and you go back to Paul yeah. Brown. So that's that tree that they oh, yeah. came out of. You know, and just not to interrupt, but Earl Morrill, the quarterback for, uh, you know, Coach Shula actually had Earl Morrill with the Colts when they lost Super Bowl three to Joe Namath and the Jets. He was actually the quarterback who played when Johnny and Ice got hurt. And then Bob Greasy got hurt and uh, with the Dolphins. And Coach Morrill took the Dolphins to the Super Bowl that year. And Coach Shula decided to play Greasy when he was healthy enough at the end of the year. Coach Morrill played the quarterback in the league for all, probably close to 20 years. And he was my quarterback's coach, the reason why I mentioned that. Wow. Uh, so I really got tutored by some really sharp people. So is that what kind of men uh, got you into the idea of coaching? Well, to be honest with you, I failed at just about everything else I tried. I huh. uh, tried out for a couple NFL teams, uh, tried out for the Denver Broncos, uh, didn't get drafted, but I got a little free agent shot. And uh, the day I signed my contract was the day John Elway decided to uh, – they traded him from the Colts to the, to the Broncos. So uh, I ran into John Elway there, and then the next year – when I tried one more time with the Dolphins, Dan Marino was there. So I had Jim Kelly, uh, John Elway, Dan Marino in front of me in my whole career. And me and my mom liked to say I was the fourth best quarterback in the world at the time, but never got my shot. You get this opportunity at Florida State. It ends up turning out right. to unbelievable. I mean, you were. That, that was an interesting, interesting story how I got there. Uh, you know, Coach Bowden knew me through recruiting because I did have an offer to Florida State and I did take an official visit. But, you know, Miami and Florida State, I mean, that was the rivalry game. 
You know, though he wanted and he quite frankly wanted to know what Miami was doing offensively. And I was a young kid that kind of knew as much of the system as, as you could hope for a guy to know coming through it. And uh, what happened was after I had uh, tried with life insurance, I tried with bartending, I tried with, you know, in cars. I mean, I tried all kinds of stuff. And the last job I had, I was tending bar, got fired from that one and decided, well, let me, let me try coaching. I got that blue book of athletics and wrote a few letters. And uh, one was to LSU. One was to uh, Miami. One was to Florida State. And as it turned out, Bill Arnsbarger was the head coach of LSU. And he was the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins. So he knew Coach Schnellenberger. He knew Coach Morrill. Um, Mike Archer was there as an assistant. So I'm going to help Ed Zombrecker. I'm going to be a graduate assistant to help him out coach the quarterbacks. At LSU. At LSU. Yeah. So my U-Haul is packed. I'm ready to go to LSU the very next day. I get a call the night before I leave. And uh, it's Coach Bowden. And uh, he had some change in his staff. And uh, he wanted to hire a graduate assistant named Brad Scott to be a full-time coach as a tight end. And uh, Art Baker left to be the head coach at East Carolina, but he was the quarterback's coach. So Coach Bowden needed a GA to actually coach the quarterbacks, which was kind of a miracle. Uh, So he gave me that opportunity to do that. And uh, I I called LSU and said, I'm taking this U-Haul to Tallahassee. (laughs) <laughs> so that's that's how I ended up coaching at Florida State. Well, and then you have a run. I mean, you're there for a, a long 15, period. Yeah, 15 years, uh, 14 of those years. Florida State had gone 14 years in a row in the top four, either the AP or UPI or whatever those polls were back then. But, yeah, we, we had an unbelievable run. A bunch of great coaches that worked together and kind of stayed together. And, uh, and then we, you know, once you start winning, recruiting gets easier. And uh, we kind of broke through against Florida in a recruiting class that Deion Sanders was a part of because Florida had a probation where they couldn't play on TV for a year. And so Deion's like, if I can't be on TV, I'm, I'm going to Florida State where I can be on TV. And that class that he came in with, you know, kind of turned the tide for Florida State. We started to win in a big way after those guys showed up. Well, I mean, and then you get the opportunity to go to Georgia, and I mean, you build a legacy up there for a long period of time. Fifteen years there, uh, you know, was offensive coordinator at Florida State my last six or seven seasons. By the grace of God, got to coach Charlie Ward, who won the Heisman, and Chris Winkie, who won a couple of national championships. We actually played, I believe we played in the first five BCS national championship games. Unfortunately, only won two out of the five. But, uh, I mean, we were right in the thick of it, and, you know, opportunities came up. I actually could have been head coach five years prior to that. Pittsburgh uh, got offered that opportunity, and I asked my wife, I said, you want to live in Pittsburgh the rest of your life? And she said, no, why? I said, well, I don't want to take the job as head coach knowing I'm looking for another one one day. If I go, I want it to be in a place where, you know, I would like to plant roots and finish, finish our career there, and Georgia was one of those types of schools. Talk about that program, how you built it. I mean, you sustained it for a long period of time. To start with, Jim Donnan was the coach prior, and uh, the cupboard was full. Uh, He had recruited some great players. Just on defense alone, every single starter that was on that team, my first season as head coach, ended up playing some 
sometime in the NFL. They were really a talented team. So it wasn't like I showed up and you know started recruiting great and all that. They had already been recruiting extremely well. So the players were there. The, the thing was they just needed a little bit of, I guess, a different different direction. Uh, you know, everything is a head first time head coach. You got to draw from your experiences as an assistant coach. And if I had been at five different schools along my journey to become a head coach, I'd have had five different philosophies to try to pick and choose from. But in some way, it was a truth, truthfully a blessing. All I knew was the Florida State way. All I knew was the Bobby Bowden way. Uh, so it was simple for me to say, this is how we're going to do things. Really, the blueprint that we had at Florida State, I took to Georgia, including a, kind of a, a grueling offseason program called Matt Drills that was uh, – it was tough. And uh, it allowed – you know, it, it was about – it was about speed and agility and change of direction and physical mental toughness, but it was, it was also about doing something together tough it was really a great team building exercise. And it also helped them understand, you know, who was in charge, you know, the players knew the coaches were in charge and we were going to lead, but we wanted to teach them a standard to where they could take over the leadership of the team. And, you know, people talk about player led teams and they think the players are running the show, but in reality, the players know the standards and they, and they're the ones that keep their, hold their teammates accountable. And by, by the second season, <clears throat> first season, we were uh, eight and four, I think. Uh, year two, we went 13 and one. And we were a very uh, senior-laden team. And we really challenged those guys to, to lead us. And uh, that was another big thing Coach Bowden did is he always wanted to put the leadership in the hands of the seniors or at least the uh, upperclassmen. Uh, even how we sat our players in the meeting room, the seniors are in the front, juniors next, sophomores next, and freshmen up in the back. Just to earn the right to be in the front row, you had to uh, go through the program and be willing to do the things you had to do to, uh, you know, to help us be great. So we won a lot of games. Uh, did, you know, obviously never won the national championship. Uh, and even the last year I was there, they decided they had enough of me. We, we won 10 games that year. You know, sometimes you're a victim of your own success, I think. So during your period of time coaching, Early on, were you coaching, were you calling plays, and then you shifted right. to bringing coordinator? So how did that go about in terms of how you evolved in terms of right. you know, running one side of the ball to taking over and trying to be the CEO? You know, going back to being an assistant coach, after year four at Florida State, I actually got the opportunity to be the offensive coordinator at East Carolina University under Bill Lewis for one, for one season. And then I went back to Florida State with another opportunity came up for me to be a full-time coach there because I was remember I started as a graduate assistant sure. coach two years as a volunteer coach went one year as coordinator at East Carolina and then a full-time opportunity opened up so I was always coaching the quarterbacks but I wasn't getting paid like a full-time coach right until I went back and then eventually got to call plays in 92 and then 93 we won the national championship so I called plays from 92 to 2000 and then I became the head coach at Georgia. And uh, at Georgia, I chose to coach the quarterbacks, call the plays, and be head coach. Uh, but I knew I needed help to coach the quarterbacks, just like Coach Bowden had me. I brought in Mike Bobo, who was a former Georgia quarterback, who's now the offense coordinator at South Carolina. He's a guy that I brought in to kind of groom as the quarterback's coach. 
about six years into my stint at Georgia, I turned over the play calling responsibilities to Mike, and uh, he he continued to be the the, call, the play caller uh, till the end. Well, almost to the very end for me at Georgia. So I became more of a you know the CEO as you mentioned, uh, and there were challenges to both. I think as a play caller and as a game planner, I, I think the players saw more passion from me. They saw more of a competitive spirit. Even even the defensive players when we would scrimmage against each other in the fall and early fall camp and in spring, you know, they knew I wanted to win. They knew I was on the offensive side, but I wanted to win. And I think they enjoyed watching me compete. And then when I became the CEO, so to speak, uh, you know, every single day it was like, didn't matter who won. I, I just wanted everybody to, you know, practice well and get better. And it took a little bit out of the uh, emotion on a day-to-day basis. And in some ways that was good. I probably needed that, but in some ways it probably uh, hadn't – made me step back a little bit and maybe not show as much competitive spirit that I had in me, but it didn't manifest itself when I wasn't competing on a daily basis, calling plays and game planning. The opportunity to go back to your alma mater. And I know in terms of the process, you said that you wanted to go back to play calling. Right. Yeah. I decided I missed it and I did. I missed coaching the QBs. I miss calling plays. I miss the strategy, uh, being in the, the heart of it. I mean, I was always in there, uh, but I, I didn't want to – I wanted to allow Mike and the staff uh, to do their thing at Georgia. I didn't want to get in the way. And I, I knew this as a play caller. If you get the head coach in your ear every time you're trying to call a play, it's just not healthy. And if you're, if you're trying to coach quarterbacks with two, two men, uh, you get two voices in there, you're going to create confusion. So I stepped back and allowed Mike to be that coach. When I went to Miami, I decided to coach QBs again and, and again groom another guy who happened to be my son, John. You know, I, I did I did that for the three years at Miami. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, at the end of Georgia, that 15-year stint, I was a pretty tired man right then. Probably should have taken a year off, and that was my intention. But, uh, you know, Miami was a great opportunity. I knew it was a team that had the history of winning and could win. It was my alma mater. And I knew if I waited a year later, that job would be taken and not be available for a while. So, you know, within 48 hours or so of being let go at Georgia, I'm the head coach at Miami going full steam ahead. And because my wife, I mean, excuse me, because my children or our children were raised up, uh, I was like, wow, I could just go 24-7 at this thing. And my, there's a lot of things Miami needed. They needed a lot of help in a lot of areas. Getting salaries right, getting the facilities right getting uh just how we fed our players i mean sports psychology strength and conditioning there's just a lot of things that have to be cleaned up and so it took a lot of energy and i didn't mind it i, I liked it i loved the grind of it but i, I kind of wore myself to a nub to the point where after year three i was truth truthfully concerned about my health and decided, you know, it's in my best interest to step down. It's in Miami's best interest for me to step down so when you take think, care of myself. So when you think about the two places you were uh, from a head coaching perspective, what, what do you feel uh, you left as your legacy at Georgia and the same thing at Miami? Well, at Georgia, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, we had a chance. We, we won you know, a lot of games, obviously. We were, I mean, winning percentage, I think, 
We had the best winning percentage of any staff ever at, at Georgia. We didn't win as many games as Coach Dooley, but when it came to winning percentage, we did. We did leave there uh, the best. So we won a lot of games. We won some conference championships, things like that. We just never won a national championship. But as far as a legacy, I think people will remember me as a guy that, you know, did win a lot of games, but also did it in a way that uh, was pleasing to, to the Lord, you know, and uh, did it in a way where I really cared a lot about our players, not only as players, but development as people. I wanted them to grow physically, uh, mentally, and spiritually. And I wanted them to be equipped for life after football, which uh, there's a lot of guys that aren't equipped for that. You know, when, when football's over, just like me, my identity growing up was football. When that went in the tank, I went in the tank. I did all kind of stupid junk that I never dreamed I'd do because I was watching Jim Kelly live my life, you know. So I know how important it is to be, for a man to be a man, to, for a man to be a husband, a father, a leader in his community. And I wanted to make sure we helped those guys understand that and, and had some things in place to help them be that. And, uh, you know, pe some people thought, well, coach just cares too much about that, doesn't care about winning, which was asinine, in my opinion. You know, I felt like if we built better men, then we were going to build a really good team as well. So you could still want to win uh, just as bad and care about people than if you don't. But uh, it seemed like uh, some people didn't understand that. Same uh, message at Miami? Uh, Miami, yeah, very similar. I think Miami, I'll be remembered, do the heavy lifting on the indoor facility that got done. Uh, you know, Miami had won so many games for so many years without the bells and whistles that a lot of colleges have as far as facilities and things of that nature and just ways to develop their players. And I think it was kind of like, well, why, why do we need to build this? Why do we need to do that? We're winning without it. Well, after a while, the college football world passed Miami by and they needed to get caught up in a lot of areas. And, uh, you know, we helped get that indoor built. I actually donated a million of my own money to as an alumni and as someone who wanted to say, look, we got to get this done. And so we did. And, you know, I mean, year one, I think we were eight, eight, four, eight and five. Year two, we uh, uh, won 10 in a row and, we were actually ranked, I think, number two or three in the college football poll before we got upset by uh, Pitt and got beat in the championship game uh, to Clemson. But, uh, you know, a lot of good things that were going in the right direction. And, you know, I think Coach Diaz has done a great job of taking over. And, you know, they're, I think they're like number nine in America, doing well. And they have all the things in place that they need now to recruit on a national level and uh, not, have to, not, not have to be embarrassed by uh, – anything they're showing those those kids. What's impressed me about you is the way you treat people. You know, not all the coaches, you know, respect the student athlete uh, and, and work with them the way you have and the way that you believe. And I, I think that just shows in terms of the relationships you've been able to build through the years. The bottom line was in 1986, while working for Coach Bowden, a player of ours was shot and killed named Pablo Lopez. And uh, long story short, Coach Bowden had a meeting with the team the uh, next available moment and just talked about Pablo and where he might be right now in regard to where he's going to spend eternity. And Basically, he just laid out the gospel, Jesus Christ. And uh, he just said, men, you're 18 to 22 years old and you think you're going to live forever. Pablo thought he was going to live forever. And now he's gone. He said, if that was you last night instead of Pablo, 
do you know where you'd spend eternity? Well, he was talking to the players, but I heard it loud and clear. And it was very evident that uh, the Holy Spirit was telling me, you're not going to a good place and you need to get your life right. And then the next day, I actually went to go see Coach Bowden and prayed to receive Christ. And that changed everything. I went from a very self-centered guy to an other-centered and Christ-centered guy. And, you know, my goal became very simple in life after that. And that was to you know, live a life that would be pleasing to God. And I said it was simple. Uh, but it, it wasn't necessarily easy all the time, but it was, it, it was a simple charge. Just live a life that you know God would be pleased. So any decision I made, instead of trying to please a coach or please a mom or dad or a player or an administrator, you know, my goal was to, to please God with what I did and have peace. And uh, that's kind of how I operated ever since. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on on Veterans Day, day that uh, you know we all honor the people that have served for us. Uh, no doubt, kept us, kept us in this uh, democracy that we live in. That uh, yes, is is a pleasure to be a part of. Well, I appreciate the opportunity today, and God bless all our veterans and their families. Thanks again, Mark. I appreciate you coming on.